Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination Podcast. I'm Mark Bibbert, and with me again, as always, is Matt Quest. Hello! So today, our guest is director Peter Lord. Yes, I said that. Peter Lord is our guest today. Our site writer, actually, from the UK, Phil Shenton, is going to be interviewing him. So stay tuned for later in the episode when we'll preview that. Yeah, that, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I wish both of us could have gone to the UK ourselves to, <laughs> to meet him, but uh, it'll be a pretty, pretty cool interview. So guys, definitely hang around and check that out later in the show. Uh, and if you haven't listened to our podcast before, our show focuses on the entire world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past or present, whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion. Uh, it's, if it's animated, we discuss it. So with that, we'll be back in a few seconds with our new releases for the week. this week include stuff from theaters as well as DVDs and Blu-rays. The first one came out a couple weeks ago. It was Iron Man 3 came out in theaters. And the reason I'm basically talking about this one is that it uses a lot of visual effects in the film. So that's basically what I'm going to talk about for that. I thought it was really well done. Uh, Half the time with those movies, you can't even tell which... Iron Man suits are the practical suits, and which ones are the completely CG suits. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that and then the heads-up display that they use inside of his helmet are always really cool, and then the interactive holograms that he uses to uh, to just basically figure out all his cool science-y things. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie. There's just some twists and turns in it that some people may not see coming, and then a few that people have really dis disliked about the film but i enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to to more films from marvel and yeah so if you guys haven't seen iron man 3 yet and i'm pretty sure most of you have only because it's made around a hundred well it made around 187 million the first weekend it came out that's insane and it's i think it just hit the one billion worldwide mark so oh my god it's a little bit faster than... Uh, actually, it's around like the same speed the Avengers hit that, that mark. So, Yeah, and then it's, they actually re- uh, released the um, street date for the Blu-ray. It's going to come out August 27th, which is about a full month faster than the Avengers came out last year on Blu-ray. So they keep on coming out faster and faster. They're stepping up their game every, every time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so... Iron Man 3, guys. Uh, the next one comes out this weekend is Epic. I got a chance to check it out this past weekend with my son. Uh, it was really good. The 3D was really well used. Uh, and I, I liked the way that they used... Since it takes place like on a smaller you know, level, the way that they rack focus, and it kind of helps the 3D with that. And I, I'm really surprised... I was really surprised with how well I liked this movie because Blue Sky, you know, they've they've done basically Ice Age, Rio, and Robots, 
and I mean, I liked Rio a lot. I liked robots. I was kind of getting sick of all the sequels to Ice Age. <laughs> so something original came, finally came out, and you liked it. Yeah, it's, it's an adaptation of a children's book called uh, The Leaf Men. It's got a longer title, but I don't remember the entire title to it. Uh, but that's actually what the movie was originally called. It was just called Leaf Men, but I guess they decided to change it to Epic for some reason. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's not just a, a Fern Gully ripoff or an Avatar ripoff. It's its its own thing with its own story that I really enjoyed. And it's, it's got a kind of a cool mythology to it as well. And I liked the way they explained different things in it. And just like you thought, and I both thought we would like this character a lot, Ozzy, the three-legged pug, one-eyed <laughs> little guy. Uh, he definitely was a steam stiller and... It, he was pretty funny in the movie. And I definitely would suggest going to see this in 3D, too. Oh, and Blue Sky actually redid their logo. So kind of similar to Pixar's logo, where you have Luxo coming out, it jumps on the eye, and that, that's their logo. Uh, their logo is now, he sees Scrat, and he looks like he's, and this is another way to include Scrat without having to make a Ice Age sequel. But <laughs> he's, he's climbing up uh, what looks like a, an iceberg. And then it turns, and you see that he's on the B of the Blue Sky logo. And then the letters flip so that he's now vertical, and he falls off the B to to probably something that would hurt very, very much for him. But, <laughs> so I thought, thought that was interesting that they redid their logo a little bit. So I would definitely suggest going to check out Epic this weekend in theaters. Uh, uh, with that... We're going to get into the DVD and Blu-ray releases. The first one, Matt, did you watch the animated Beetlejuice? Yes, I did. I religiously watched that, and I loved them. Well, uh, this past Saturday, Shout Factory just released the complete series on DVD. All 94 episodes, 12 discs. Uh, there's no bonus features, which kind of stinks, but it's all four seasons of the show. I didn't realize they had four seasons, but... If this was something you watched Nickelodeon when you were you were a kid, it's it's definitely worth picking up. It's, it's exactly how you remember it, <laughs> uh, that, for better or for worse. And the only way you could watch these before was there was a DVD edition of Beetlejuice uh, that they put out that had a few episodes of it on there. But this is the first time you can watch the entire series in its entirety on DVD. So... If you're a big Beetlejuice fan, definitely go check that out. It's on DVD now. Matt, you think you're going to pick it up? Yes, and I rarely <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a good price, too. I was looking, and Shop Factory's only charging, like, I think $30 for it. So it's not bad. For how many discs it is and how many seasons and whatnot, that's, I think that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. The, the next two, I know that you're definitely going to be picking up. <laughs> the first one, Howl's Moving Castle. And My Neighbor Totoro are both coming out on Blu-ray this Tuesday, May 21st. So if you're listening to this after, they've already come out. But I, I really enjoyed Howl's Movie Castle. It was my first time watching it. I know, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you should have seen it a long time ago. But I, I'm almost kind of glad I waited to watch it until now because the Blu-ray transfer of this is really beautiful it's all the all the, the colors really pop off the screen yeah see now you made me jealous <laughs> yeah I, I mean i liked the story a lot in this and for guys like myself that like pixar 
Uh, it's it's kind of a Pixar heavy a bonus feature Blu-ray too because you have Miyazaki visiting uh, John Lasseter at Pixar Animation Studios uh, back when back when they were working on Cars and the uh, the atrium still had the the Incredibles maquettes all and everything still sitting in there. Uh, but it was when uh, he brought. You know, have you seen any of the bonus features where you've seen the, the cat bus that Lasseter has in his office? I, I know about the cat bus, but I don't remember a lot about it. This is basically that, that trip where Miyazaki brought that to him, and, and then they also had a screening of Howl's Moving Castle in the Pixar auditorium. Uh, and what I didn't know, this was, was kind of cool finding out, was that Pete Docter, who directed Monsters Incorporated, and up, uh, he actually co-directed the English dub version of Howl's wow. Movie Castle and worked with Maizaki and, and Lasseter for it. Cool. Uh, what I thought was funny is that they have a behind the microphone thing on there too where it shows the uh, the American voice cast for it and Christian Bell who plays Howl in it. It's funny, he, they asked him to d like do a deeper voice at one point so he's essentially doing his Batman <laughs> voice <laughs> for, for Howl when he's at a certain point in the movie. And I just thought that was funny. I was like, hey, Batman is in this movie. Uh, then it was, it was also funny to see a, a really young Josh Hutcherson, who's now like become pretty big with the Hunger Games movies and, and other things, to see like a little eight-year-old version of him in there. I, I thought the, the movie was really, really good, and I, I was pleasantly surprised with all the, the cool little Pixar-infused uh, bonus features that were on there, too. Uh, and, Matt, so that's your your one of your favorite movies, so... What what are your thoughts about that while we're talking about it? That is absolutely my favorite Miyazaki movie. I mean, um, the storyline is awesome. It's just the way, you know, uh, Studio Ghibli animates everything is just ridiculous. The fact that there's a castle in, like, all the, like, the robotic parts and it's, like, alive, it's just totally awesome. The, like, the mythology behind it, and um, it, it's just a really awesome, beautiful film to watch. And I, I, I can watch it over and over again. And actually, the music, the soundtrack from this is awesome, too. I have it downloaded, and I like listen to that at work all the time. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to download it as well. Some of it sounded familiar. I don't know if they reused some of the score in Arietti or another yeah, film. but some it, it might have the same tone, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's definitely worth picking up. Oh, yeah, and I also liked uh, Billy Crystal did, did the voice in the <laughs> film, too. yeah. And, Oh, it was funny. It shows uh, John Lasseter directing him over satellite. So, like, Billy Crystal is is putting, like, makeup on the TV and, and asking uh, John Lasseter if, if it has filled out his face enough so he looks okay <laughs> on, on the television. So it was pretty funny as well. Nice. Uh, and then the next one is to My Neighbor Totoro, which I got to see this last year. I had rented it and watched it. And, again, like, like with House Movie Castle, the Blu-ray transfer of this is beautiful again. Yeah, I I can't wait to see these on Blu-ray. I'm really jealous. Yeah, already. <laughs> if if I can get a, a second copy of either, I'll definitely send both of them to you. Yeah, send them my way. Woo! <laughs> uh, and then on here, that's got the original Japanese storyboards. The House Movie Castle also has that, and the original Japanese trailer. Uh, it's got another behind the microphone bonus feature on there. So shows the cast like uh, Tim Daly. If you guys watched Superman, the animated series, he was the voice of Superman and Clark Kent on that. Uh, and then it's also got the very young Dakota and Elle Fanning 
sisters doing their voice for the film too. And then there's some behind the studio stuff in there with creating My Neighbor Totoro, the characters, Totoro experience, producer's ex uh, perspective, and the locations of Totoro. And also a thing about scoring the film. So just like you said with the music, that's another great feature to watch on there yeah. too, especially if you love the music. So if, if you're a big Studio Ghibli fan, Miyazaki fan, uh, since these are both directed by Hayao Miyazaki, uh, it's definitely going to be a good Tuesday for you this week when they get released. The, the other thing I like is that now I have three Studio Ghibli films on Blu-ray. I like that all their, because I'm very OCD about like my, my Blu-rays and stuff, so I like that all their case cases are pretty similar on the spines, <laughs> so it's nice to see them all next to each other like that now with the, the nice blue and gold. Nice. So, yeah, those are our new releases for the week, so we'll be back in a few seconds with our big block of news for this week. So, see you guys in a few seconds. for this week the first bit is star wars rebels is an animated series coming uh from lucasfilm and disney uh basically in the the wake of star wars the clone wars this will be coming out in the fall of 2014 and uh it's pretty much the same like creative force of people that were part of the clone wars with dave filoni uh again behind this as well and it takes place in between episodes three and four uh in a quote to a time where the empire is securing its grip on the galaxy and hunting down the last of the jedi knights as a fledging rebellion against the empire is taking shape uh so the first episode will air as a one hour special on disney channel in the fall of 2004 with a regular series set to broadcast worldwide on disney xd shortly thereafter uh, and Kathleen Kennedy said she couldn't be more excited to explore new corners of the Star Wars universe. She thinks Star Wars Rebels will capture the look, feel, and fun that both kids and their parents love about Star Wars. Um, they also released a video with uh, Dave Filoni talking a bit about what they've prepared so far for the new series. Uh, I'm still hoping they can finish up the storylines and the last little bit that they had started to animate for the Clone Wars. Uh, but I am glad that Dave Filoni, who was behind the Clone Wars, is going to be doing this as well. And the same art director who did Clone Wars will be doing this too. So I'm pretty sure it'll have kind of like the same look and feel to it as we got from Clone Wars. So we may be losing the Clone Wars, but we're kind of still going to get it just in a different time period, more or less. Sweet. Uh, and I put an editor's note on, on Stanford's story about this was that uh, if you guys have played the Force Unleashed video games, there's a character called Starkiller, who is Darth Vader's secret apprentice. Uh, he's voiced by Sam Witwer, who's done voices before for the Clone Wars for Darth Maul and various other characters as well. But I kind of I hope that he kind of makes an appearance because if you guys have played those video games, you'll you'll understand you'll understand why I don't want to get too 
far into it if you haven't played the video games and, and ruin something for you. But <laughs> I, I definitely would like to, to see his character involved somehow, or at least maybe mentioned at some point, or maybe they do a flashback episode or something. But I, I'm excited for that, and I, I know all the other uh, stuff. Star Wars people don't really have a, a thing like Trekkies do. You can't really call you call them Warzies or something like that. <laughs> I guess you can just call them Star Wars geeks like we are. But yeah, so from there, the the next few things are basically just uh, announcements for Blu-rays coming out. Uh, Disney is going to be releasing a DVD-only uh, digital copy version of Peter Pan Diamond Edition like they, uh, from the Blu-ray they had put out a few months ago. Uh, on August 20th, as well as Return to Neverland will be coming to Blu-ray for the first time that day, uh, which is one of the films that, like one of the many sequels they made during that that time period of, of, yeah, the, the yeah. dark the dark time. We know what you're talking about. Yeah, and then, uh, like we expected, August 6th, besides Oliver and Company coming out that day on Blu-ray, we're also getting The Sword in the Stone, and Robin Hood on blu-ray which i'm very excited about both of those and that almost caps all of the the xerox era for disney on blu-ray I, I don't remember if we mentioned last time that august 20th uh winnie the pooh the many adventures of winnie the pooh is also coming out on blu-ray so so pretty much at that point i think the only one from the xerox era that won't have been released on blu-ray will be 101 dalmatians and the Black Cauldron, so we'll see what happens with those. But I'm I'm excited for these, and I'm hoping by next year, or maybe maybe we'll get some more this year. Maybe we'll get hopefully Hercules and Tarzan on Blu-ray, and still wait on Aladdin. <laughs> Can't wait for Aladdin. I know I want it, want it so bad. Uh, the next thing is we had talked about this before when we did the Adult Swim episode with George was that we really wanted Adventure Time and regular show on Blu-ray. Well, we got them in HD on Netflix, and now coming on June 4th, we're actually going to get Adventure Time seasons one and seasons two, both separate sets on Blu-ray, as well as regular show season one and two together in one set. So if you guys are big fans of those and you finally want to pick them up in HD, that's that'll be the day to do it. And we, we might, we're in the running to possibly be doing an interview with the show's creator of regular show. So fingers crossed that that happens with us, because that'd be pretty cool to get that as well, guys. Totally cool. Yeah, and have you got a chance to check out any more Adventure Time and regular show, Matt? Because I know you haven't watched that much. I've been trying to pick up an episode here or there, but um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> and whoever hasn't seen it, you better go and watch it. Yeah. Patrick and I just started season four of it, so we're, we're enjoying it. Can't, uh, it's going to suck kind of when we get all caught up because then you can't, you know, just pop in Adventure Time <laughs> yeah. and watch four or five episodes for a fix because, I mean, they're only 11 episodes, so, I mean, you get it mm -hmm. through it pretty fast. Uh, but from there, Angry Birds feature film is going to be distributed worldwide by Sony, which I thought was interesting that it's not Sony animation, it's Sony pictures themselves, mm. which, I, th I mean, that's kind of interesting, but... They're going to be backing that. Uh, uh, so what do you think about that, Matt? Are you curious about that? Um, I mean, I am, and it just it seems more corporate than, you know, like yeah. if the animation studio took over. I think it's just people saying, hey, let's cram more Angry Birds down your throat, you know? So yeah. 
you know, if the animation doesn't do it, we're just going to do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's set to be released July 1st of 2016. And David Massell, who was a producer on Iron Man, will be an executive producer for the film along with John Cohen, who was a producer for Despicable Me. Uh, and Mikhail, head CEO of Rovio, said... Sony impressed us with their great attitude, determination, and professionalism. They convinced us that we have found the right partners and team to help us market and distribute our first promotion picture. That is a very corporate uh, statement right there. Uh, I think I said promotion picture. I meant to say motion picture, but that's probably a little Freudian slip there. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then Sony Pictures chairman and CEO Michael Linton and co-chair Amy Pascal commented that Every studio in town would love to add Angry Birds to their slate. There are a few titles out there that bring this kind of excitement, brand awareness, and built-in audience to the table. We're thrilled to be distributing this film, and we hope that this is just the beginning of what will be a long relationship with Rovio as we look for ways to work on future projects together. It's all just corporate bullcrap. I mean, yeah. it's just people with a ton of money trying to make more money, and they're just cramming Angry Birds down your throat. You go anywhere. You go to a gas station, you find Angry Gerd birds gum to like underwear yeah it's ridiculous that's got to so be just cramming it on every media front that's got to be one of the apps that's made the most money off of you know just basically secondary yeah. merchandise ever movies. it's yeah. ridiculous and, and like we said before when we talked a little bit about this when they first announced it uh with with justin was that will people still care about angry birds in th three years Oh, that's true. Who knows? So, yeah, they'll they'll keep making it evolve and coming out with new stuff. And yeah, I mean, I'm still playing Angry Birds Star Wars. So, <laughs> see, and I'm, I think I've got I've got all the different apps on my phone. Granted, I don't play them all the time, but uh, they're there. I almost made an Angry Birds folder just to <laughs> cram them all in there. Uh, but from there, we're going to something I'm really looking forward to is Toy Story of Terror, the yes. Halloween. First TV special from Pixar is coming out this fall. Uh, so this October, Pixar Animation Studios, and I actually wrote this story on the, the website, guys. Uh, Pixar Animation is going to be releasing their first holiday special. So it makes absolute sense for the first of their characters to star in that special to be the gang from Toy Story, obviously. Uh, entitled Toy Story of Terror, the 30-minute special will reunite the voice cast from the franchise. Uh and as reported by TV Guide, the Halloween special follows the further adventures of the toys after Toy Story 3, as well as the first three Toy Story tunes that we've gotten, on a road trip with Bonnie and her mother that takes on a very unexpected turn. Cool. So, Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, the, the synopsis is Bonnie is on a road trip to go see grand, her grandma uh, with her mom, and the toys are in the trunk. Mom gets a flat tire, and they have to spend the night at a motel, and all kinds of chaos ensues. Uh, so even though the special will include favorites like Buzz, Woody, uh, Rex, and Mr. Potato Head, or also it's the primary focus for this special is going to be on Joan Cusack's uh, Jesse, uh, and we've gotten to—they said we've gotten to see a lot of development in Woody and Buzz, and we felt it was Jesse's turn to really show some growth. Uh, and Mr. Pricklepants, as well as <laughs> Trixie, who first appeared in the third film, will also be featured this time around. And as, a, that, blah, blah, blah. as an added bonus, we'll also meet and hear from Combat Carl, who you guys may remember um, was a crater in the ground in the first film, thanks to Sid 
Andy's next store neighbor. Uh, so do you think maybe he could possibly be returning as a ghost of a toy, maybe? I don't know. But mm. uh, he's going to be voiced by Carl Weathers. Uh, and then the special director, Angus McLean, had this to say about the special. Uh, there's some support to make a scary but not necessarily Halloween-themed half-hour Toy Story special for television. Uh, there's some concern early on about not making it too scary for kids. I think we've done a good job of balancing staying true to Toy Story and staying true to the genre. As far as adults are concerned, I've always thought that we make these movies for ourselves. I think it's funny, and like the other Toy Story films, I think there's plenty of stuff in there that only the adults will get. And I guess it's taking inspiration from Psycho, Aliens, and Predator. Uh, <laughs> but, awesome. But I have to bet with uh, Leon Rick's um, involvement with Toy Story 3 and the fact that it's going to take place in a motel, uh, there's got to be some Shining references in there. There has to be, and I know there will be. And and that some of, uh, basically the toys run into like these mysterious sequences of events that they must figure out before all of them endure the same fate. So maybe there'll be references to the movie Clue as well. And the fact that those are, are there's also a board game of that, I'm, I'm sure that'll maybe play into it too. Uh, and the, the last bit he had to say was, as with all the Pixar films, the special will be lighthearted. But we get to see more of Andy's former toys with their new owner, Bonnie. And he said this is the first time that they've been on a road trip away. And also we're exploring the relationship and the things that might come up on a road trip with toys, some of whom have lived and worked together for years while others have just only met. They definitely have a family dynamic that is fun to see, and now they're all together on one road trip. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this. And, Matt, you sound like you are as well. Yeah. Can't wait. So the next thing uh, is Merida Gate 2 2013. Merida Princess Makeover gets wildly criticized. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> so what are, what are, yeah, I, mean, I guess you kind of just gave your opinion about it, but, but what do you think about it? Uh, Brendan Chapman, who created Merida, has been pretty upset, like what they, they redid to her and kind of made her all... To, to be fair, they did slimmer down a bit for, like, the 2D. But, I mean, I guess when you go from a CG character to a 2D, it's always going to look more different. It's exaggerated. They characterized yeah. it, you know? And it's very sparkly. They added a bunch of sparkles to it. Yeah. But, yeah, if you guys want, want to see a lot more about this, we there's been three updates that we've had that Stanford's posted about it. And uh, Disney, this is, they the last thing they said was, Merida has always been a different kind of princess, independent, strong, and brave. Huh, brave. Uh, <laughs> we at Disney and Pixar are extremely proud of what Merida represents and that she exemplifies a sense of spirit, strength, and character that she sets that sets her apart. Oh, this is a statement from Pixar, by the way. I don't remember if I said that. Uh, the recent impassioned response to the modification of Merida's appearance serves to underscore our belief that people truly identify with this character that we are so proud of. We are deeply committed uh, to keeping the integrity and appearance of her character intact. We hope that Merida continues to help redefine what it means to be a princess. So, yeah. There you go, guys. Uh and, yeah, I mean, I've kind of said what, what I feel about it, and Matt has too, so if you want to see more about it, go to our site, check that out. Um, the next bit is that, this is kind of interesting, uh, for Disney's 50, what would it be, 54th canon film, 
will be the adaptation of Marvel's Big Hero 6, which I thought was interesting that it won't be like an entirely original character, like the characters that they've come up with from Disney, but it'll actually be an adaptation of uh, an existing property from somewhere else. Uh, they released a little bit of the first footage from it. And it looks really good. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, Matt, but it shows... Yeah. It looks pretty rad. I mean, it's set in, uh, where is it, like... Like a futuristic San Francisco. Yeah. Or is it, San Francisco's actually got a different name in it. I don't remember what it... Uh, San Francisco. So it's like a like a mixture of Tokyo and France, San Francisco. It which looks you, you, really neat. You can definitely tell by looking at the, the art for it. Uh, the film is going to be directed by Don Hall, who was the co-director of 2011's animated feature Winnie the Pooh. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. And it comes out November seventh, two thousand fourteen. So, but we still need to get some promotion for, for or not Brave, uh, Frozen before. I mean, it's it's gonna be coming out in like a few months, and they really haven't seen any posters or anything from it. So hopefully we get some some Frozen promotion. There's probably gonna be soon. an explosion of media soon. Yeah. Uh, and with that, we also just want to kind of talk about briefly that. Ray Harryhausen, a big innovator in stop-motion animation, and pretty much the, the pioneer of it, passed away this past week. And uh, many artists throughout the animation industry gave their thoughts about it. And our Owen John Huber wrote something about it as well, with how Ray Harryhausen had affected his life and uh, the different influences to him as well. And I know that actually in uh, Phil's interview with, with Peter Lord's He'll be asking him about uh, his thoughts about Ray Harryhausen's passing and what influences he gave to him in his career at Ardman as well. So, yeah, guys, that is our news for the week. We'll be back in a few seconds with our new trailers. So we see you guys in a few seconds. So, new okay. trailers this week, guys. Uh, the first one is Top Cat the Movie. Yes, you heard there at Top Cat the Movie. Uh, <laughs> and this this is an interesting trailer in that it's... Uh, apparently, it's coming to theaters August 2nd. Uh, if you guys don't remember, he's a hand of our character back from the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, the synopsis for the movie is the new mayor wants to automate the police force, including Officer... Dibble's job, whose job it is to keep an eye on Top Cat and his gang. Top Cat quickly realizes that a capable new police force will spoil his chances of continuing to get away with his shenanigans, so he decides to foil the marriage plans and save the city from the new robot force of police officers. And what's really interesting about the animation for this is that all of the characters are hand-drawn animation, and all the backgrounds are CG animation. It's a weird blend. I'm, I mean... From seeing it, it's 
it's kind of a cruder 3D with the 2D. It, it kind of looks, I don't know, what do you think? I don't know. It, it looks weird. It kind of takes some getting used to it. And it's, yeah. It, I don't know. I guess, I don't know if I'm going <laughs> to... I don't even know if I want to see this in theaters. <laughs> I don't know either. It, it's it, it's not well done. It doesn't. I mean, the 2D is just like, you know. It looks exactly how, like like the. I mean, I'll give them the fact like that the they tried to be faithful to look exactly like it looked in the 70s. Yeah. And but, then they just put like 3D on top of it. It's just, you know, kind of. It's not great. It's. But it's still kind of good. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess we'll wait and see what happens there with that. I think it's coming out on iTunes the same day as well. So yeah. if you don't want to go to the theater to see it, you can rent it at home on iTunes. Mixed uh, opinions. Yeah. Uh, the next bit is a, another teaser for Planes, which has no dialogue in it, but it's set to the film's score, and shows the, off a lot of the the beautiful animation from the film. I, I really enjoy this. I liked seeing all these different spots and whatnot, and I'm I'm getting more excited for this. Uh, and here's your your reminder again that it is not a Pixar film. It is being produced by Disney Toon Studios. Uh, but yeah, Matt, what did what did you think about this new teaser? I mean, I like all the action that's going on. Um, it, it's pretty cool. It, it'll be interesting to see how the animation um, reflects like Pixar. You know, Definitely. if they kind of try to stay true to what they've set as a president or if they're going to kind of take it in a different direction. Right. So it, it looks, I mean, I, it looks very similar to like all of the animation they've done for, for yeah. car, the cars films. And since it's in that universe, I guess that makes sense. So, I mean, we'll let, we'll wait and see what that too. That comes out in August as well. Uh, the next one is the first teaser we've gotten for Rio two, which is, which, if you're a big uh, spoiler phobe and you don't want to find out anything about the movie, this is a kind of a good teaser trailer for you. Uh, other than the last little uh, snip uh, add-on to the end of the teaser, uh, which, if you don't know what it is, skip ahead a few seconds. I'm gonna tell Matt which character shows up at the end, since I don't think he's gotten to ch watch chance all of it. <laughs> and uh, it is down right now on our website. Yeah, uh, Nigel. Is returning, even though he apparently was met his demise in the last film. Uh, but he's coming back, and in in the tr teaser, you also see that Blue and Jewel have had had little little kids now too. So I'm interested in seeing what the story will be for this, and how exactly Nigel survived his his death in the first <laughs> film. And yeah, so are you excited for Rio 2, Matt? Can't wait. The first one looked great, so I can't, can't wait to see the next. Same here. Uh, and the last one is a mix of animation and live action. It's a film called The the Congress, which has uh, Robin Wright in it. And it's about an actor who using uh, basically sells her digital likeness to a studio for them to use in films and whatnot, which, I mean, we've kind of heard about this before like in real life with the possibility of studios being able to use just cg versions of actors yeah. like long after they've passed and we've even seen commercials with this done with about uh, we've like there's one with uh stephen hawking like walking uh, or no it wasn't stephen hawking i think it was uh, christopher reeve walking yes. and that was even like after he had passed away so i like 
the story to this seems interesting. It's uh, it's currently playing at the Cannes Film Festival in France. Uh, it's kind of hit some mixed reviews there, and the animation does look pretty trippy. It it reminds me of the Yellow Submarine. Yeah. The the Beatles Yellow Submarine, like the concept art looks very. I mean, updated, but very kind of similar in the style, I think. Yeah, or, or kind of, almost, or if you've seen Richard Linklater's Waking Life or uh, Scanner Darkly, similar to that too, but not rotoscoped. Uh, yeah. yeah, so those are our new trailers for the week. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on those, send them our way, email, Facebook, Twitter, let us know. Uh, with that, we're going to get into our recommendations. We'll be back in a few seconds with those. guys our recommendations for the week mine is a the premiere of avengers assemble a new animated series from marvel you can actually download the premiere for free right now on itunes so if you just click the link in our show notes on our website uh you can it'll bring it right to itunes and be able to download it we've we've posted the trailer for the show before too uh i kind of like the style to it i did really like earth's mightiest heroes though so uh for me um I'm waiting to see if this series will uh, win me over or if I'll just be hope, wishing that Earth's Mightiest Heroes was still on. But, <laughs> Matt, did you do you like the, the look of this, or did you... I, I don't remember if you got ever a chance to watch Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Do you like the look for this, or Earth's Mightiest Heroes better? I, I don't remember Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I You know, this looks like... Um, a pretty good, you know, 2D animation, you know, I, I would watch it. Uh, so, yeah, that's my recommendation for the Matt, what is yours? Um, my recommendation, my <laughs> recommendation is Your what? Of, um, yeah, I don't know what I just said. Your recommendation. <laughs> uh, for, okay. Matt's fornication. Um, I mean, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> We're Vimeo. That's what I was trying to say. There you go. <clears throat> um, my recommendation for the week is Pick, Pick, and uh, Patatrack. It's pick, it's a Patatrack. really cool student film um, by Lone Torres, and uh, it, it depicts a Dr. Flamingo and a patient. I think it's a rhino. Yeah, is I think it it's, a rhino yeah, it's a rhino. It looks like a rhino. But it's, it's just, you know, it's a minute and 40 seconds long. It's really... You know, no dialogue, really uh, interesting storyline. And it's just what really grabbed me was the style that it was done in. And, you know, the characters are like that tune, like almost 2D looking. And like the backgrounds that have this really soft, like occlusion looking 3D to it. And it's really, it's really cool. So I, Definitely. you know, check it out. What'd you think, Mark? I, I really liked it too. I liked the reflections that they used on the ground as well. Um, yeah. Exaggerated characters and the colors they used for it were pretty pop like it, it reminds to the me eye. of uh the tron like this the series 
yeah, because they had like... like the shiny textures and like you know the shaders were really stylized. So I liked that a lot. Oh yeah, speaking of that, you know what? I'll recommend that too. If you guys have Netflix Instant, the entire series of Tron Uprising is now on Netflix Instant in HD. So if you were one of the people that didn't watch it, remember the reason it got canceled. Now you can watch <laughs> it now, and rate it five stars, and maybe. If Disney sees how well it's getting reviewed on there, they'll be like, oh, man, we need to get the show back. So yes. watch it now on Netflix Instant. And if you don't have Netflix Instant, since we don't we don't have a sponsorship with them yet, I'm going to help the Rotoscopers out. Go to their site. They have a Netflix sponsorship. Go through them. You can get a free month trial. You can watch the entire season of Tron Uprising in that month, and then you can cancel the whole Netflix if you don't want it anymore. And since the rest of development is coming back on the 26th, you can watch that too. And then you, you don't even have to pay for it. You don't even have to pay for it. So Yeah, for free. So those are our recommendations for the week. Uh, and in a few seconds, we won't be back, but Phil will with his interview with Peter Lord. So stay tuned for that, guys. It's some awesome stuff. Cheerio, mate. That was stupid. Why did I do that? You can edit that out. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in so people can see how stupid I was. But yeah, guys, here here's the the interview with Peter Lord. And if I am crying, it's not cause of you. It's because I'm thinking about a friend of mine. You don't know who is dying. That's right, dying. These aren't tears of sadness because you're leaving me. I've just been cutting onions. I'm making. A lasagna for one. Well, I'm not crying. No. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Animation Fascination Podcast. I'm Phil Shenton, and earlier this month I had the honour of travelling up to Ardman Studios in Bristol, England, to interview the studio's co-founder, Peter Lord. For the past 40 years, Peter has animated, directed, and produced some of the most significant animations in England. Most recently, the Oscar-nominated feature Pirates, an Adventure with Scientists. We spoke with Peter about production of the film and his long career in the industry. Enjoy. Well, the first thing was congratulations on the Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. Pirates was an astounding feat of animation. But we were just wondering uh, what production was like on the film and how it differed from some of your earlier films. Bloody, what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> I know, for instance, you, you shot <clears throat> a lot of different shots at once. Yes. Is that normal for That's normal for a movie, yes, yes. I mean, for, uh, w one thing, but this has always been the same, but one thing is, it, is that you have to shoot lots, lots of different sh sets at the same time with an animated stop-frame movie. Yeah. So... Like, if you were to come into the studio where it's being shot, big black, big black hall, it's divided up into 30 or 35 separate small units. And some are just the size of this room, and some are, some are really quite huge. And in each one, someone's shooting, so that on a good day, on the Pirates, a good day, maybe 25 people would all be shooting at at the same time so so and that means amongst other things it means you have to have lots of huge number of puppets because the pirate captain is in most of those shots you know because he's bloody everywhere so so he you, so 25 different animators okay so to be realistic 
15 different animators all animating the pirate captain simultaneously but it's all meant to be one one product one performance you know so they have to all work you know like together they have to all do the same performance which is, which is an interesting challenge and uh, and then the director has to race around you know um saying whatever needs to be said about the performance, about the composition of the shot, about the lighting, about the about performance mostly, that's the most interesting part. So that's that's kind of normal, that's the way we used to work used to working. And it's it is yes, it's hard to exaggerate how extreme that is. If you make a regular film, a regular film with Hugh Grant, there's only one of him, right? So, so you know, you you can only shoot one scene at a time. But in animation because it's so slow, because you're shooting two seconds a day or something, you have to have 25, 30 animators shooting at the same time to, to ever get it done in your lifetime. So, um, so that's normal. That's, if you call that normal. <laughs> if you call that normal, that's normal. And then, um, what's the other thing I was thinking? Yeah, well, you see, what, what was the production like? Um, I, the, the thing that was different, actually, which people were shouldn't be too aware of is the because it was shot digitally you know digital cameras of course and um there was no film involved first time first time i ever done a whole thing with no film involved and it, but it does make it, it, it makes the studio floor the, the studio shoot much easier much much easier much easier like the fact that you can basically the fact you can tinker with the image afterwards if there's anything wrong you know or the fact you don't have to get the skies in shot. In fact, you, a lot of it was shot green screen. Most of it. All the exteriors were shot green screen. I would think it's true to say. Um, yeah, and then the, the digital technology is so it's good, you know, so effective, so easy to work with. That like, so we could shoot on Blood Island. We, we had a very very big set. It was like. 30, 35, 40 feet long, a very, very long set. And um, and, the, and you could put the camera anywhere, green screen, you could put the camera anywhere on that set. And if, if, there, if you didn't have background, you could put it in afterwards, right? So you could put in afterwards the sky, of course, the mountains, smoke rising from chimneys, palm trees, other shacks. So you could, you could extend the world, which it just made it easy to line up a shot. You didn't have, didn't have to worry about what it, what set of props you'd got. You could line up a shot, confident in the knowledge that you could put those things in afterwards. And even background characters. We kind of had, we kind of had fun with background characters. Um, it was kind of like, I think people were having a laugh with it. They said, like we built l loads of puppets, more than we'd ever done before. But even so, for for a very wide shot. You, you you want extras in shot. And so we had CG extras in the background. Like, you can't even, you can't even see them. I mean, there's one shot at the start, at the end of the title sequence, where the, cam the camera cranes down from the pub sign to the pub. And when it does, there's a line of, like, 12, or, yeah, 12 pirates lining up to get into the pub, like, it's a big queue. And... The first six are puppets, and the second six are CG, and I, I, I don't know which is which, you know, I can't quite tell. Um, but that was just, you know, I didn't, 
Yeah, I was. I always wanted the animation to be stop motion, absolutely. But it was fun to be able to fill up the background with extra. Well, is it true? I read somewhere that you. Um, it was originally going to be a CG film, and once you saw the model of the pirate captain, you fell in love with him and yeah. said, "This needs to be." Yeah, I can't. Yes, that's uh, that's kind of true. I I can't work out how. I can't remember, because I have a bad memory, how cunning and cynical I was, because, you know, we like, we like to do stop motion is what we love to do. We love to do stop motion. The fact is we had another project on the books that looked like it was going to be a stop motion film. In the end, it never got, never got made. And just realistically, I thought, well, OK, we'll shoot that one first, because it, it was well advanced, and then we'll, we'll shoot... Um, so we shoot the pirates kind of simultaneously. So it would be practical to shoot it in stop motion. That's why I thought. <laughs> no, because no, we had the other film on. No, we had this other film <laughs> on the books that that um, that never got made. Stop motion film. That's occupying the studio. So I thought, well, if I want to make the pirates anytime soon, it needs to be CG. That's what I thought. You see, so so we st- so we started to think about it CG, and I had no idea how to design it and um, and designers it's true is a little bit of a thin area oh man it's true it's not like when you go to you know Disney and Pixar they've always got thousands of these fabulous um, concept artists around the place you know but they just just keep on for decorative purposes and so they do wonderful wonderful things but we can't afford that so we don't do that um, and I didn't have an obvious conceptual artist around I tried various things and so after a while somebody said and I don't know if it's Caroline or not well make a set make a set and let that suggest the design for CG so we made the captain's cabin and the captain and an A model of the captain not the final one and um, and built that saying that we would take that aesthetic and turn it into CG, but then in the end, when we saw it, it was kind of it was like a no-brainer to do it stop motion because it was just it looked just looked great, you know. And, and it's funny we had a quite a very senior executive from Sony came over, a very very senior head studio head came over, and, and what was funny was is she just fell for the um, the doll's houseness of it all. And people do. I mean, everyone that I do, everyone, everyone, and people when they visit the studio, they just love it because it is like a fabulous doll's house, and there's something very, very attractive about it. And I think it's kind of, I think it's quite deep in the, the human psyche, actually. I mean, I think it's a, it seems like people really react in, instinctively and strongly to puppets. They like them. They're, they're fascinated by them. And miniatures. You know, like, I, it makes me laugh that if you make, like, um, Anything, a chair, a very good model chair. People was stop. Oh, is that? Look at that fabulous chair. That's like perfect. But they would never comment on a real chair, <laughs> you know, because a real chair is just it's just a chair. Nobody thinks about it. But but a miniature one is something really really interesting. And I'm the same. I, I, I you go to the doors. I was like, oh, look at the saucepan. <laughs> but nobody cares about a saucepan in real life. But, that's so true. Yeah, There's no explanation. There's for no explanation. It. It's true. It's just true. And so we kind of. We kind of um, we know it's true, and so and so we we uh, act on it. Yeah.
Because I was going to say like the handcrafted things are all around us, but yeah, it's once you shrink it, you make it tiny, people fall in love. Yeah. Show it, Captain. Show it Oh yeah. It's got a stupid expression. Yes, okay. Just hold it. I'll hold it for a bit. One thing that interests me. This is more just a personal yeah. thing. But um, the scene for the replacement animation. Yes. Is that done digitally? Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was another thing that was like easy, you know, like in the past with Wallace. Wallace has substitute mouths in, in the same way, but he's a plaster scene, and I, and that is good. I mean, that's great actually. You have to. I I freely admit that's an advantage for me clean plastic because it means you can sculpt it a bit after you've put it on the face. But practically speaking, the animators would um, take Wallace's head off every frame, every time he changes his mouth, take his head off, go to the corner of the set, sit down, and sculpt away, work away, which make, making it all smooth and perfect, and cleaning it up because it gets dusty and so on. Mm. And, um, and that's very, very time consuming, and slows down, for me, it slows down animation which is which is should be sort of um, spontaneous sort of energetic you know instinctive and so I don't like it slowed down too much the, but they they were smoothing this line because it was plastic above and plastic below they were smoothing it the animators were doing that it's a great thing great thing but underneath this beard that would be practically nearly impossible very very difficult under the beard um and so, uh, as you said, that was done, that, that cleanup was done just digitally afterwards. So, what we were doing, it was quite calculated and yes, thought through. We, I was taking time off the studio floor and putting it into a, a, you know, a computer suite afterwards. Same number of man hours, or maybe perhaps even more man hours, perhaps, but. The time on the studio floor is the most expensive time because it's a, it's a, t- a, lot, a load of people in there. Every minute spent in the studio was precious, so we were so I was deliberately shifting the, the, the time burden elsewhere. And um, yeah, very happy with it. Very happy. One thing we noticed when we came in, we, I didn't realise that the, the eyebrows and the forehead are still plastered. Oh, they are. Slightly cracked, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yes, um, it's interesting with lip sync. It's interesting thing because because so these are pr- printed. You know, these are I won't, I won't take it off, but it's it's up rapid prototyping printed printed mounts, and um, um, that's a technical process. And and to make the, the lip sync as good as it is is thousands and tens of thousands of hours work, both in in animating it, yes, on, on in Maya, as it was done, printing it out, uh, cleaning, painting, painting especially. And um, he had like 250 mouths. There's a huge library of different mouths. So very, very, very time-consuming. It's very time-consuming, mind-boggling. And yeah, it, may, it kind of annoys me because actually it's not interesting. Like, I don't care about lip sync. Like, that's not important. Like, I always say that, um, that 
if you're looking at an actor on the screen, you should not be looking at their mouth. It's ridiculous if you're looking at their mouth. You know, it's, it's nonsense. You got, you know, you know, Robert De Niro or someone like that. You know, you're not looking at his mouth. You got to you look at his, his eyes. His, so that's so. The point being that the fact that this little bit here is last scene. It gave the animators control over that half, uh, the upper half of the face to be as subtle as they could be in that small area. And that's the expressive part. That's the important part. That's the part I didn't want to be mechanical. You know, so that was why we did it that way. It makes all the sense in the world, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. So we've talked about the replacement stuff. Do you miss um, the fully... The full processing characters, just working with them. It's interesting with that one. It's an interesting question as to whether it's. Um, the, I know. Is that I, the short answer is, that, is I don't. I don't miss it. But there's something we lose. I'm, I'm sorry. Just to go back. So if, if the question is, you know, do, do I miss? Do I miss the characters being fully plasticine? I don't miss it. But you lose something, yeah? And what you... Yes. I know that part of our audience loves the very handmade look of Wallace and Gump, which is extremely handmade. You're very famously, you see the fingerprints everywhere. Um, and that's true, you can. Um, and people like that, and they like to be aware of the craft. I like it too. I want the audience to be aware that it's handmade. I really, that's, that's why. And a big part of that is we, we shoot a lot of it on double frame still, which is funny, it's comical really, because it's, you know, because double frame, it does mean it's kind of it's a bit clunky. It's a bit, you know, it's not smooth. But I don't think smooth is a good word in animation. It doesn't, in fact, smooth is actually a bad word in animation. You know, I don't, if I say, you know, if I say to the animators, oh, you've made it too, it's too smooth, it's too silky, it's too perfect. Those are all bad words. You know, bad with my, yeah, I, I don't want any of that. I'd much rather have, you know, good words, lively, energetic. You know, you know. Uh, presence, you know, um, these are good words. Um, so the style of animation, the double frame style of animation, is perhaps the most important thing to make it look handmade. With plasticine, I mean, God, this I started with morph. Do you know morph? Morph, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's as plasticine as you can get. That's real plasticine because there's nothing, there's no armature inside it at all. Uh, and as a result, as I and as I remember when I tried to do it again, really difficult to do because he falls over the whole time, you know. And so it's animating solid plasticine is, is like a magnificent sort of um, balancing act as much as as much as animating, uh, and that's bloody difficult to do. But also, you know, when when we decided to make a pirate movie, I just kind of knew well, I, with certainty, I well. Yeah, I knew with certainty that pirates need to have, you know, buckles and gold braid and sashes and, you know, and beards and, and, and patches and belts and... That's, 
what they need. And you can't do that in plastic. You die, you know. You die, you, you just die. Uh, I mean, um, Wallace these days, you know, what, you know he, he's, he is actually all latex from his feet to his neck, but his hands and face are still plasticine. Um, and we could have done that, I must say, but then it was, it, honestly, it was, it was his beard was the thing. It was, the beard was in the, um, the book and in the script. It was often referred to as this, this beard. And, and that um, decided that we couldn't, to me, we couldn't do plasticine faces because it was, it, I mean, we probably could have done that. But it would be an absolute nightmare, you know. And um, uh, so, so I personally, as a director, I don't mind at all. I I rather like. Um, I'm not different from Nick Park. You know, we you know we have a different aesthetic, and, and I rather like um, ex quite expressive. Um, body movement stuff. Nick has this magnificently simple sort of straight up and down thing that he does really. The, the fact that Wallace can't, can't move his shoulders, they're stuck, you know, he can't, and, he, and he can't move his spine because his body is solid. And so he does this sort of straight up and down thing that he does, which kind of works brilliantly. Um, but I like my puppets to have more flexibility to be able to, be able to, twist, to twist from the, in the torso and stuff like that and so I like a, I love actually uh, a, a well made um, I puppet because of the because it potentially gives you to act that's what I like about it you know, in different ways that's amazing um, right oh yeah I wanted to talk about Hugh Grant because oh, um, at first he seemed like a bit of an odd choice yes, to play a pirate character yeah, yeah. Um, but his performance was Brilliantly funny. Yeah. Um, nothing like anything he's done before. No. And did there was that a character that came from yourself? Was it something that came from the books? Did you develop the character together? Well, Hugh's performance is it's absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. It it's so exciting to work with with a good actor. Very exciting. I, that performance definitely evolved, definitely evolved, and it's it's at least you know from the interesting thing about animation, especially it comes from at least sort of four different places, I guess. And one is the writing, and one is Hugh, and one is me, and one is the animators, and they all have a part in the in the performance and other people too, in truth, but all, at least all, all those main elements. And um, the way he's written fits Hugh Grant very well, actually. He, he's written at, at, in the pages and in the books that, that Gideon wrote. He's written as this... Um, uh, he's selfish. He's very, very selfish. He's very selfish. He's very dim. He, he has he has no foresight at all, you know. And actually, pretty stupid. I mean, we, we lost the joke where he would, on one occasion, he came in with the ship's wheel in his hand and said, you know, this thing's fallen off again. I can't, 
Yeah, no, he was so stupid he didn't know what it was for. But we've kept the joke when he says, of the cannons, he says, fire those long things that go bang. You know, it's like, <laughs> like he really, really, really did. Uh, amazingly did. Um, very sure of himself. Uh, and, st- and stupid. And, and so full of, full of bad things, but, but with, a, with a lovely um, enthusiasm for life, I suppose, which is the attractive part. And uh, self-dramatising, inclined to self-pity, yeah, all sorts of terrible But quite, you know, really quite a good match for Hugh Grant, actually. Um, such a good match. And, um, but the other side of him, the, the swashbuckling, the roaring, is an extremely odd match for Hugh Grant, you know, and not, and not a match at all. And that was, in truth, the difficult part, I think, to get. Um, yeah, 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 because he's never been asked to do that kind of thing before. Yeah. And in fact, he, he, he was a very, very nice, extremely nice man, very generous, funny, kind man. And he came to the um, crew screening in Bristol. And I like to say it's because he's in it. He, he does um, uh, self-deprecation very well, being English. Yeah. And he said, he said to the, he said to the crew, he said, you know, I want, yeah, I, I really want to thank you all for making me do things on screen that I've never done before, like sword fighting, acting. He said, like, and it's really, it's just really such a, it's, it's a joke, but it was to say that. But I was pleased with it as a joke because it, it said he'd done something that was out of his comfort zone, that was different, you know, that was not automatic for him at all. Um, so the roaring. So when I originally conceded, when we first met, I was expecting much more of the big, the big booming voice and the, uh, the the noisy sort of swagger, and that was replaced by something rather subtle, but but you know, a, a very funny comic. Take on that, but uh, it's great to work. I mean, when I say great to work with, I mean, I mean personally in the studio, it's good to work with. Uh, but his voice is great to work with. His voice is fantastic to work with. The fact that he's famous for um, hesitation and stuttering and stuff, you know, he, which he doesn't want to do too much of, but that is, animators love that stuff. That is great, you know. That those hesitations and the sort of doesn't do much of it, but the the, the the thinking time, the thinking time, which is so much part of comedy, because often comedy is um, just it, it's the pause between him hearing something and reacting is the, is where the, is where comedy lies, um, and he does a lot of that, you know. Uh, as an actor, luckily for me, he said at one stage that what he likes in movie making first of all doesn't like, doesn't like movie making very much anyway he gone right, gone right off it as a, thought it was a stupid activity for a grown man but what he liked was these, he liked these close ups and, and what he meant was that when you had a close up there wasn't any other actor in the scene right so he's just talking to you know anyone you know he said probably the actor's not there uh, and so he could get it right Without any pressure from anybody else, he could get the line just the way he wanted it in the close-up. Um, without, I suppose that, in a way, you could say it's selfish, but I think it's sort of perfectionist 
but he, he could just get the line the way he wanted. And that kind of worked with um, animation as well, being cars. He's largely recorded on his own, which is not perfect, but, but a fact of life. So he could just take a line and just do it over and over and over again. Yeah. In fact, he referred to um, uh, Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, the famous "You Look at Me," which was like uh, uh, Hugh said that that was that was actually him just getting, well, just trying the line, and you get that with actors, you know. That, and so I can't think of any line now. He'd say, he'd say, uh, he'd say, "Oh, choose neighbor." He's doing it over and over and over again, often so fast you couldn't separate them out. Because he was trying to hear it in his own head in the, in the way that was funny. And luckily for me, that meant I got you know, 20 takes, you know, which is great. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know if it's coincidence as well, but since, I don't know how the filming uh, times differed, but since he did this, it seems that his roles have been a lot more. Um, he's had a lot more different roles. He I was, watched him in um, what was the Wachowski brothers? Yeah, yes, the, the, the Crackers one. Uh, he was amazing in that. Yeah, uh, God, what's it called? Um, and, uh, Cloud Atlas. Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he was doing that at the same time. Actually. Yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that was his choice. He Maybe. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He said doesn't like. You know, he, he doesn't like or need to repeat himself, and and, he, and I mean the. Bridget Jones number three was always in the background, you know, just, just <laughs> be disgusted and, and there'd be something in the press, Hugh's doing it now, and then Hugh'd come and look, no, I'm definitely not doing it. And, and it's something obviously tempted, something tempted him to do, isn't it? But really, he didn't, he really didn't care. He doesn't like acting very much, I don't think. Which is good. <laughs> <laughs> we have to ask, um, is there any more plans for any to adapt any more of the book? No, there was there aren't, no, no, sadly not. I'm I'm sad to say it. I think unfortunately the the real truth the truth is it didn't do enough money in the States, um, really. And that unfortunately that um, that unbalances the whole world and uh, so it there's, there are no current plans. Although I, I do notice in this business, you should never say never. You know, it is true that, that way down the line, it, it could, it could happen. I would do it happily because what I loved about it, so simple. What I loved about it was it was, a, was a, it was a comedy like, like, emphatically like it and this. Largely from Gideon's writing, it had this very, very playful tone, which I was very happy to be around. It, it, mel it meant that that was what everyone had to do, was to make it funny. And, and um, it's quite a big question, actually, because uh, I know, because I'm no fool, <laughs> that um, with, with the big, successful blockbusters, that um, the emotional story plays an enormous part in them, enormous part, and it's very, very effective. People seem to like it. It, it seems it resonates with with the audience. And I know this, and I'm 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 sensitive fellow. I'm emotional. I'm emotional fellow. But I feel that so many movies, that heart, that emotional heart is stuck in there 
cynically by some executive, you know, right now let's get some heart in there. Wow, blam! There we go. Okay, great. Now it's full of heart. You know, and and it's done by heartless people and cynical people. You know, not not all of them. I'm just you know sometimes. Pixar films. I think the reason that it, I think the reason the Pixar films worked so well is those guys were like that. They, you know, they felt they they the the sort of values you get in Toy Story, which is are John's values and very American values, but we're British and we're different and we're, and and not artless, but but you know it's slightly different and uh, and I was very happy just to to. To chase down the comedy of it, you know, and I thought that was, I thought that was more honest. And then again, didn't do, didn't do big, box, big, big box office as a result. So that's so um, I know that too. You know, <laughs> yeah. So next time, we much more hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I felt it had a lot of heart. It did. It, had, it was it was the pirate captain and his love of his crew. That was what. Yeah, I think it was a very simple thing. It was kind of it was kind of simple, and, yeah. but maybe that he was terribly he's terribly flawed. You know, he's so, yes, he, yes, he's selfish. Yes, he's stupid. Yes, he is these things. You know, uh, and 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 in the end, but in the end, he cared for his family. You know, his his family stroke crew, and they care for him, and that sort of and that uh, trumps everything. And I think it's really nice. You know, it's simple, simple. He doesn't he doesn't learn a great lesson. Which I think is personally, I don't, I don't know who in life does learn this. His stories, his stories, people always come out, make it amazingly transform at the end. And I don't think it's very true to life at all. But uh, yeah, yeah. After thirty years of being in the animation industry, yes. What keeps you driven, and what are your passions? Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good question, isn't it? Um, oh, uh, I don't know how to answer that. I um. It's very interesting business animation, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very interesting because I like the people very much that I meet, Jim, and that's imagine. I'm using total hot bastards as well, but generally speaking, I like the people that I meet. Um, it's a very sort of, it's, a, it's an unshowy industry, animation. And, and it's, it's just, it's so sort of in its DNA because here are people who are like performers which they are, the best ones. Of course, they're absolutely, but they're performers, they're storytellers, but they're kind of shy because they don't want to be in front of the camera. They don't want to be on the screen, most of them. So that, there's something sort of self-serving about that. Maybe slightly shy, slightly modest people, but with great vision. This is where they get to shine. I mean, the prime example, actually, is Nick Park, who, who now, you know, Nick now, after 30 years of enormous success, is a pretty accomplished Public speaking. When I first met him, incredibly shy, you know, really, really shy and awkward in public and awkward with people, you know, but brilliant. And, and so he's got to be brilliant and put that on the screen, but without putting himself out there too much. So that's, that's so he's a, cl- a classic example. So I do like the, so I like the people that I meet very much. Um, I mean, it's what I do, like, you know, and, and the whole studio is, a, is, is this elaborate, you know, organism, elaborate place. And all these, all these people, the people I like, um, it's evolved in Bristol particularly, especially the stock frame side of things. 
And it's quite amazing, you know, like that never existed in Britain before. There was never a... I mean, I don't think... I don't think it's ever been such a successful animation studio in Bristol before, and certainly not stop motion. So that's a great thing. I'm very proud of that in itself. And, and that group of people... Um, and, of course, you know, the people that have worked with me people maybe whose career we started or no, that's the wrong phrase people who started their career here go on and do great things elsewhere and that you feel that's nice it's like you know, nice like to see that and um, I, uh, I will go I won't this year actually I'll go to Annecy like most years but not this year um, and see short films and normally be inspired by something. That's the that's the deal. Several things, you know. You you you'll see something. Wow, that, wow, that's amazing. That's technically or emotionally or storytelling wise, something is extraordinary. And you think, wow, that's really great. Oh, I should do a film like that. That kind of sense you get, which in truth I do get more with the short film world than with with features. I mean, features features are something else. Um, features are. You know, they're amazing. It's just it's it, it's an extraordinary business. Feature animation, he says, talking in circles, because um, <laughs> um, because you know when we started, it was only Disney. Disney was the only game in town, as they told us. They said, <laughs> they said you know, come and work for us. They said um, because we're the only people that, that make animated movies. Uh, and now, of course, the world is full of people making great ones, huge. Big box office triumphs everywhere. There's an awful lot of very good people in it. And they make an awful lot of very good films. It's, quite, it's really surprising how many good films are made in a year. Uh, and that's exciting because it's, because it, it's exciting because it exists. In fact, I'm, I'm now slightly worried there are too many made, actually. Uh, too many fighting for the same audience, that worries me. And I would like to see some... I'd be fascinated, excited to see that if you're allowed to make animated films for mostly for an adult audience. I wish, I wish you were. I mean, that would be great. We should have some fun with that. Um, but that's not quite allowed yet. But it will come, I guess. But although I love that world, I'm very, very impressed by it, I'm not probably inspired by it in the same way I am by going to see short films at a, at a festival because... I guess I suppose there what you see is you see every so often you see a, a, a new talent popping up you know and think, that's that's somebody that, that's that's someone astonishing it's just because they have a voice they've got a style a way of expressing themselves and ideas and you'd love to see that or it might be some real old stager like um, who's a real old stager Paul Dreesen you know you know or, or George Schwitzkay, or these are guys who've been, been around for a long, long time, but still do really strong individualistic short films with a particular voice. Um, so that inspires me. That inspires me. That inspires me. The people inspire me. Um, and um, and practically speaking, you know, we here we are. We're in Bristol. We've got a big community involved around us, um, and I want to keep that going and you know, thriving. That's brilliant. Unfortunately, our time with Peter was limited, 
but luckily he agreed to answer the rest of our questions over email, so please keep your eye out on the website for that and many more exciting interviews to come. Thanks for listening. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. All right, guys, that is our show for the week. I hope you enjoyed Phil's interview with Peter Lord. I know me and Matt did. Uh, in case you guys want to follow us on Twitter, and why wouldn't you? Uh, I'm at Mark Vibbert, M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-R-T. And I am at Questpact, Q-U-E-S-T-P-A-C-T. Uh, you can follow Phil on Twitter at, at Phil underscore Shenton, uh, P-H-I-L underscore S-H-E-N-T-O-N. Uh, or you can follow the show at Animated Podcast. Uh, you can also feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions you want us to do for episodes stuff you thought maybe got wrong during this episode or other episodes uh or just anything you want uh also you can feel free to visit our site at animationfascination.wordpress.com uh working on getting just.com or net, but we're still looking into that we might we're trying to get animationfascination.com from this guy that's not using it if that doesn't happen we might end up just going with animatedpodcast.com but we will keep you guys updated on that front. Uh, and you can in al- progress. Yeah. You can also like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. Uh, and actually, uh, I... Or, sorry, for incorrect English there. Uh, myself, John Huber, who writes for the site, and Justin, who helps us out with the site as well, will all be attending Phoenix Comic Con this week. And... Finger crossed, fingers crossed, because they haven't emailed me back yet with telling me who I'm going to be interviewing. But the possible people that we'll be interviewing are Tara Strong, who has done a ton of voice uh, acting for for My Little Pony to uh, Batman the Animated Series to basically, if you can think think of something, she's done a voice for that. Uh, Bruce Bachleitner, we just talked about Tron. He did the voice of Tron and in Tron Uprising. Uh, hopefully getting one with him. Uh, Tara Platt, who we just interviewed last episode with her husband, Yuri Lowenthal, who does voice of Ben 10, uh, as well as John Berriman, who you guys, if you watch Doctor Who, he will be there, and hopefully I'll be able to interview him. He doesn't really do that much animation, but I'm a big Doctor Who fan, so I'm going to try to come up with reasons for interviewing him for our animation podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'll be like, oh, they use a lot of visual effects with Torchwood and Doctor Who. Would you ever do an animated movie? Uh, so that, and then there Sam Witwer, like I talked about earlier in the episode, who's done episodes in Clone Wars, and hopefully the new Star Wars series as well will be there, and hopefully we'll get to interview him too. So all of that stuff we'll be filming. We'll put that on our YouTube channel, and we might do a special audio channel with all the interviews from that too. So. Stay tuned. A lot of exciting stuff over the next few weeks for the show, guys. 
So for myself, I'm Mark Vibbert, Matt Quest, and our guest, Peter Lord, with our writer, Phil Shenton, interviewing Thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in again next time, guys. See you later. But while we were talking, I saw you nodding out. London calling, see, we ain't got no high. Except for that one with the yellowy eyes. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in. Engines stuck on it, the wheat is going to be a nuclear error. But I have no fear, cause London is drowning out.